This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Amen. Amen. You know, you just you, God is just good. God is just good. He's faithful, and and you know. We, we have the easy part, family. We have the easy part. So tonight I am going to start, um, a couple of weeks ago I started a teaching, and it's called Purpose and Singleness, and I'm going to uh, continue on that teaching. Now, this teaching, while, while I'm getting started here, you can go ahead and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Now this teaching, um, Purpose and Singleness, it does focus on the unmarried, but if you're not if you are married, don't worry. This teaching will still, this, you will get something from this teaching, especially the stuff that we're going to go over tonight. So don't get distracted. Don't say, oh, I don't have nothing. If, you, if, you're, if you're married, don't say it's nothing for me. There's something for you. It's the Word of God. There's always something for you. So let's go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 25. And before I get started reading here, just just hear me out. Just listen to everything that I, I'm going to read. Don't get caught up with words. Just just listen, and, and we're going to bear it all out, okay? So verse 25 of 1 Corinthians chapter 7 says, Now concerning virgins, I have no commandment of the Lord, yet I give my judgment as one that have obtained mercy of the Lord to be faithful. I suppose, therefore, that this is good for the present distress, I say, that it is good for a man to be so. Art thou bound unto a wife? Seek not to be loose. Art thou loose from a wife? Seek not a wife. But, and if thou marry, thou hast not sinned. And if a virgin marry, she hath not sinned. Nevertheless, shall, nevertheless shall have, faith, have trouble in the flesh. But I spare you. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. It remaineth that they that have wives be as though they had none and they that weep as though they wept not and they that rejoice as they, re they rejoice not and they that buy as they possess not and they that use this world as abusing as not abusing it for the fashion of this world passeth away but I would have you without carefulness he that is unmarried careth for the things that belong to God how he may please the Lord but he that is married careth for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. There is a difference also between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cared for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy in body and in spirit. But she that is married cared for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. And this I speak for your own profit, not that I may cast a snare upon you, but... For that which is comely, and that ye may attend upon the Lord without distraction. But if any man think he behaveth himself uncomely toward his virgin, if she, if she pass the flower of her age, and need so require, let him do what he will. He sinneth not. Let them marry. Nevertheless, he that standeth fast, standeth steadfast in his heart, having no necessity, but have power over his own will, 
and hath so decreed in his heart that he will keep his virgin doeth well. So then he that giveth her in marriage doeth well, but he that giveth her not in marriage doeth better. So I read all of those scriptures, and basically what it's saying here is Paul is talking to the church at Corinth. And there's some some kind of debate going on just from what we're reading. What's better to be, married or unmarried? And what Paul is saying, look, at this present time, I'm going to tell you what's going on right now. He's saying, wherever you are, if you have a wife, don't seek to get out of being married. If you are single, don't seek to to get married. Just where you are right now is fine. But if you want to get married, guess what? Get married. It's no sin. If you are, you want to get married, but you want to have a long engagement, as long as you can stay sanctified and holy, stay sanctified and holy and have that long engagement. If you want to get married and you need a short engagement because you need, you got to, you need to do what you need to do, then go ahead and get married, but stay sanctified and holy. Because the whole issue is, there's nothing wrong with being married, there's nothing wrong with being single. Single or married, the goal is focused ministry. And that's focused service to God. The important thing is that you complete the assignment that God gave you. So it's not about whether you're single or whether you're married. It's about completing the assignment that God gave you and being focused in the state that you're in. So if you want to put in your notes just somewhere to remember this, just put maximizing the state that I am in. Because that's what we're going to flow into tonight. Because right now this is a reviewing that we're doing. This is what we taught last time. So we're just going to review so we can just flow in. And I know we had a week off, so do a little bit extra review for that. So every person starts off single. So when you are born, you are single. And there's a period of time in your life that you are not married. So being unmarried is a state that's unavoidable. You're going to be unmarried. Now, you may get married and stay married for the rest of your life, and great. You may get married and your spouse may pass away, so you'll become single again. You may get married and and for no reason or for whoever's fault, the uh, marriage may end in divorce. So now you're single again. So there are a lot of different phases or stages of singleness. So it's not that, don't think of, I guess, you know, the society says, you know, there's a stigma about, around being single. So don't think of it the way society thinks about it. Just think about it as God thinks about it. And we're going to talk about that a little later on. So the objective for the teaching, this whole series, is we want to learn how to maximize the single or unmarried state and fulfill God's purpose. It's very important that believers know how to have godly success in an unmarried state. So if you notice that second sentence I told you, it's very important that believers know how to have godly success in an unmarried state. Because you may be married, but you have children, or you have people that you know who are unmarried. So you need to be able to pour into their lives so that they can be successful in their unmarried state. So it's not good, like I said, this is for everybody. Even though we're focusing on singles, this is for everybody. So that's the objective of our teaching. So we're going to kind of hit on three major points. So first of all, last time we talked about this, we talked about getting in position. So in order to uh, uh, obtain this objective, we're going to talk about getting in position, and we'll review those uh, topics, that part of the topic tonight. Then we'll talk about focusing on tonight, we're going to talk about moving into purpose. 
or move, yeah, moving with purpose. And then we're going to talk about the last point will be staying in purpose. So before I get into that, I kind of talked about this earlier. There are different types of unmarried or single believers. So you've got those who've never been married. Those people, they've never been married. And in that group, you have, um, it's going to sound like they're age groups, but actually they're levels of maturity. Because I'll read them and then I'll tell you what I mean. So you've got the adolescent, you've got the teenager. So our youth with conviction, um, our younger children, they're, they're single. Those are those children. They're under their parents' tutelage. They still, their parents are still making decisions for them. Now, as children get older, like with the youth with conviction, as they get older, their hormones have turned on. They start being interested in the opposite sex. They want to start dating and all that kind of stuff. So they've started seeing things a little different. But their parents are the ones teaching them and basically putting restrictions and guidelines so that they can make, they're really not making the decision. Their parents basically kind of, I hate to tell y'all this, you, you, you're not. Um, their parents are boxing them in and saying, okay, you can have red or pink. That, there you go. So that's the adolescent and the teenager. They really haven't um, had to make any decisions. They're still learning. Now, from the adolescent and the teenager, you just flow into another group, which is kind of the post-teenager, that young adult stage, where maybe you You've gotten a little older. You're not necessarily a teenager. You've learned some things. You've matured a little bit, but there's still other things that you need to learn and you need to practice those, making those good decisions. So that would be um, as you, uh, if you wanted to, th- if you were thinking of an age group, that would be kind of like um, the beginning of next gen, the next gen. When you think of those ages, you're thinking about 21, 22, 23, up to like 27, 28, maybe even 30. Then you got past that age, then you have what I like to say the responsible, the mature adult. So you've gotten over those stages, you live with your parents, they've made all your decisions for you, you've transitioned where you start making some of your own decisions, and then you start making more and more of your own decisions, and then you're out on your own as a responsible, mature adult. Now, you would think that that follows an age, but it doesn't necessarily. It follows a mentality and a mindset. So if you don't know, if you are my age, in your 40s, and you still think like a 14-year-old, you have not renewed your mind, you have not demonstrated making the proper decisions, then you still have to go through those stages because you're not going to skip it. You're not going to skip going from an adolescent mindset to a mature adult. You're going to have to flow through those. So those are the different stages or different groups of unmarried, never-been-married people. Now, in each of those groups, there's, there's a little diff, different expectation. It's funny, I was talking to somebody, and it, it was funny because it was like, oh, you know, this guy, and it, it, he looked like this and this right here, and I was like, I don't care. And it was like, oh, he knows how to, uh, I think it was, he knows how to farm, or he knows how to do something. And I was like, oh, now that's interesting. Because when you get my age, you're like, let me tell you, we know the fake look. All that stuff is fake. You, you can fix that. But, oh, you got a really nice 401K? You know what you don't, don't. I'm just telling y'all. When, when, when single women my age, if you're not thinking like that, because because you're not thinking about those kind of things. That's way in the past. You're like whatever. You're thinking about you. You need a stable life. You don't need all that other kind of stuff. You're looking for stability. That's it. Res- responsible, mature. So now, um, younger people, that's fine. You know, hey, yeah, they look this way, and you know, looks are or 
looks matter. We're not saying they don't, but it's not what you're focused on. So every group, there's a different, there's a different expectation. So you take someone who is um, in that second group, the young adult. Some people at that young adult stage, they, they are looking to get married. They're like, I want to be married. And that's fine. Remember, it's nothing wrong with being married. It's nothing wrong with being single. So their expectation is something else where you may get someone in that same group and they say, well, I don't know if I want to be married or not. So the expectation for each one of these groups may be a little different. So you have those who've never been married. Then you have those who have been married, but the marriage ended due to death or divorce. Now, this group is different because they've experienced the institution of marriage. So, whereas people who've never been married, they don't know what marriage is. They only have been told about marriage. They've never experienced it. These people have a different experience. So, some people have lived and their spouse has passed away. And so, their experience of marriage may be different from someone whose marriage ended in divorce because... The, the divorce, it may have happened, and there may have been some, some feelings that were left over. So they, even though they've both been married before, their experience has been, has been is different. Also, their expectations are different. Like you'll get some people, their spouse has passed away, and they're like, I'm never getting married again. I'm not even thinking about those things. So everybody's view is different. So even though every, these are all people who are unmarried, there are different expectations, there are different experiences. Now, even though you have those different expectations, even though you have those different experiences, the goal for every person, every one of those people, every one of us, is the same, and that is to please God. That's the goal. So no matter what is going on in your life, and that's what Paul was saying over in 1 Corinthians 7. He said, no matter what is going on in your life now, no matter what you plan to go on in your life, your goal should be to please God. Your goal should be focused service to God. So with that, we talked about getting in position. Getting in position, we talked about having peace with God. We know we heard, we heard a lot of teaching on that. And we must be with God. He's not going to move. We must be with him, and then he'll be with us. So I want to be where God has planted me to be. So when we think of that, when we talk about getting in position, there's an external position, and that's the position, those are the things that we see. So, for example, we're talking about being single and being married. So an external um, state or position, that's marriage, because you can see that. But then there are internal states or positions, and those are the things that are going on in our heart, our emotion, our desires, those things we can't necessarily see, but they affect those external states that, we, uh, that you can see. Now, both my external and my internal positions are subject to change. In order to be used by God, my internal position must be in alignment with Him, and even though my external position may never change. So what I'm saying is, your life externally may not change. You may not get married. You may not get a new job. You may not have those things that you think you need to have, but your internal position must be in line with God. We have to be in position with God. Getting in position and being prepared aren't the same thing. So we know we've been hearing a lot about, in the ministry, we've been getting a lot of teaching about preparation to be used by God. And we want to be prepared to be used by God. 
But getting position and preparation, being prepared to be used by God, are two different things. They're similar because, or no, they're dependent. You can't be prepared to be used by God if you're not in the proper position. So you have to get in position so that you can be prepared. So I have to be validated, confirmed, and established in what and who God says I am. I cannot let any other entity, this world system, um, my parents, my friends, society, any of those things, I can't let those things tell me who I am. I have to let God tell tell me who I am. So what we need to do is we need to take a look at, and let's just talk about what God's perspective of the unmarried believer. And this is still review. So let's run over to Romans chapter 5. So Romans chapter 5, and when I read this the last time, it was kind of like, wait a minute, this has nothing to do with single, it doesn't really talk about that, but we're going to read it and then I'm going to explain why, why it goes with this. So Romans chapter 5, we're going to read verses 6 through 11. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure, for a good man, some would even dare die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life." And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. So, what, what does that have to do with God's perspective uh, of an unmarried believer? Guess what? God's perspective of any believer is the same. That's, just like a, that's an external state. It's subject to change. So, when we were sinners, when we were outside, God brought us inside. By sending his son. His love for us was so great that he sent his son and said, I don't want them outside anymore. I want them inside. I want to bring them close to me. I want to have a relationship with them. And that's his perspective. Through his son, he brought us in. And when we're in his son, we can have that relationship. And that's how he sees us. So now that we're inside, he still has that same great love for us. He still has that same care for us. So he's not leaving us alone. He's not saying, oh, you're in, oh, you can handle it, whatever, I'm not going to help you anymore. That's not what God is saying. He's saying, you know what, that same love on the outside, you on the outside. So you could only see the outside part. Now you're on the inside. Now you're on the inside, and it's still here. And it's great because he's still pouring out his love and his grace towards us. In, in this, you know, you think about things. And sometimes our perspective of ourselves skews what we, what we should believe God believes about, knows about us. There's nothing that you have done. There's nothing that you are going to do. There's no thought that you've had, whether you held on to that thought or it was just fleeting, that God doesn't already know about, that he didn't know before you were born. There's no feeling 
that you had or that you're having that's hidden from him. And, you know, you think about it. You think about sometimes you think about stuff and you're like, wow, that was a crazy thought. I shouldn't have thought that. Or you have a feeling and you're like, wow, I've never felt that way before. Guess what God knew about that? And even through all of that, he still sent his love and saved us. He still sends his love and keeps us. He still wants us. And he has always has a way for us to be with him and come back to him when we're away from him. So, you know, sometimes um, at the last time I taught, I, we were talking about some of the things. I was giving you guys some of the experiences as a single person that I've had. You know, sometimes you think, God, you know, I, I feel lonely or I feel like um, you've forgotten me. And all these other people are getting married and, and what's going on and all these things. And then I know I would come in and I was like, but God, you know, should I feel that way? But guess what? God knew those feelings. And he was, and the thing about it is, and I told you guys, I got counsel. I talked to somebody about it. And don't, don't get caught up in your feelings, but also understand that God sees those feelings. And he's not asking you to sweep those under the rug. He's not asking you to sweep your experiences under the rug. So like if you're, you're a believer and you've been divor- divorced or you've been hurt, you've been in bad relationships and, and you're still trying to get over those things, God is not saying you're a believer and he, he has healed you or he will heal you if you want him to. And he's not saying those experiences didn't happen. He's saying, okay, those experiences happen. And guess what? You're having those feelings. But guess what I want to do? I want to make you whole. I don't want you to get caught up and think that you can't bring those things to me. I don't want you to think that you're alone in this because you're not. Because guess what? When I am with God, he is with me. The only reason you're alone is that you're outside. But guess what? You don't have to stay outside. Come on in. Because God is saying we, we can deal with that. So don't get caught up. Don't get in your mind your perspective of yourself. God has told you who you are in him. He's made a place for you through Christ Jesus. Stay in that place. Stay in that place. So we went over to Romans chapter 12 because we wanted to talk about. So where is that place? Where are we? What has God done? Where has he put us? Go over to Romans chapter 12. And remember, we're talking about having focused service to God, focused ministry. So we're talking about singles, but we are talking about the goal is to have focused service to God. So go over to Romans chapter 12. We're going to read verses 1 through 5. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we, being many, are one body, and every one members one of another. So, God has positioned us, and he's put us in the body. And each of us 
have something to do. And I like that in verse 4. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. We are, we are not all the same. So there are going to be some people who are married, and there are some people who are unmarried. So you don't have to try to be like anybody else. You are in the state that you're in, and we want to maximize or make the most of the state that we're in. So God has placed you in the body, and you are to do what he's called you to do in the body. So every member of the body has work to do right now, not ten years from now, not ten minutes from now, but right now. So I can't let the wrong mindset keep me from doing the will of God or doing the work of the ministry. So not doing the will of God is being out of position. Because that means you, you, to be in position with God, you have to obey Him. You have to do His will. When you don't do that, you're out of position. So that means you need to repent and obey and get back in position. So now we're getting to kind of the new information. So it doesn't matter the circumstances of your life, God loves you. He's made a position for you through Jesus Christ. And he's given each of us a work to do. So we must get in position and do the work. So we're not supposed to just be kind of chilling. You know, we're supposed to be doing the work. And we know work, it means to accomplish something, to bring something to pass. So work means you're going to get something done. It's not just chilling, you know, sitting around. You know, I think about it sometimes, you know, you're at work and you sit and you're like sitting. The other day I was just sitting there looking at my email. I wasn't bringing this in the past. I was just sitting there. But, you know, that's what some of us think. I got my email open. Hey, I ain't really doing them, but I'm at work because I got my email. I got my work email up, right? No, that's not what God is saying. <laughs> Answer an email. Do some work. So that was getting in position. So that was the, the section on getting in position. Next, we're going to talk about moving with purpose. To move with purpose, first of all, you have to know what the purpose is. So you can move, but that movement may just be idle movement. It's not getting you anywhere. We want to move with purpose, and that is the purpose of God. Go over to um, Matthew chapter 6. And, you know, I was thinking, especially um, during this time, you know, a, a lot of things are going on, there's a lot of changes, and pe a lot of people are busy just kind of running around. And expending a lot of energy but not getting a lot done. You know, you got a lot of what they call it, nervous energy. And you, oh, I can't sit down, I'm fidgeting. And all you're doing is just fidgeting. You know, you're just moving around and maybe you move something around and you move over here and you, oh, I didn't know I did that. But you're not getting anything done. You're not moving with purpose. You know, the energy is there, you're expending the energy, but there's no purpose. There's no end to it. At the end of it, what do you have? You have to move with purpose. So let's go over here and let's talk about the purpose. So Matthew chapter 6, we're going to start at verse 20. We're going to read to verse 25. Then we're going to skip down to 31 and then read to 34. So we're going to start at verse 20, Matthew 6, verse 20. But lay up for yourselves treasure. You know what? Let's start at 19. I didn't mean to put 19. So let's do 19 because I don't like starting with a conjunction. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust, rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, 
and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. But if thine eye be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that, is that darkness. No man can serve two masters, for either he, will take, either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body, what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body more than raiment? So let's go down to 31. Take no thought, therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal shall we be clothed? clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So we're looking at this. So when we move with purpose, we have to keep our eyes single. So when we look over in chapter, when we look over in verse 20, it talks about treasure. It says, lay not up treasure. And it talks about where your treasure is. So what is a treasure? A treasure, treasure is that which is valuable. And the thing about it is, value, value is a personal thing. One thing may be valuable to somebody, but it may not be valuable to somebody else. So like if you were to... Um, and most people are going to be very surprised since I work in multimedia. If you were to give me a whole bunch of cool speakers like from Best Buy somewhere, I'd say, oh, that's so nice. But it wouldn't be that valuable to me. Now, if you were to go to Williams-Sonoma and spend that same money, I would do a backflip because that's valuable to me. So my value and your value are different things. So your treasure and my treasure may be different things because it's what's valuable to you. Because a lot of people look at here, and, and it is regarding money, but you'll automatically think, oh, this is money. But some people, some single people, they value not being single, being married, more than they value money right now. So that's their treasure is getting out of the state that they're in into another state. So your treasure is that what is valuable or important to you. It's that what you trust in. So, wherever your treasure is that was valuable to you, that's where your focus is going to be. So, in those scriptures, it said, don't lay up for yourself treasures on this earth, but lay up for treasures in heaven. Because that's where your value should be. That's what you should be looking for. That's where you should be focused. So, where your treasure is, that's what you're going to focus on. Whatever you think is valuable, that's what you're going to focus on. So, what is focus? Focus is the center of interest or activity. It's the center of attention. It's what you concentrate on. It's what motivates you. So focus is the center of interest or activity. It's the center of attention. It's what you concentrate on. It's what motivates you. So in verse 22 it says, The light of the body is the eye. If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. So, 
the background for this scripture is in the Jew, the Jewish uh, culture, they believe that the eye was the window of the soul. So whatever you, your eye was focused on, that's what was coming in. That that let things in, and it also pushed things out. So you could, you could see you could, when you think about it, your eyes it will register those like the light on your eyes, and you see it, and it does something to your brain. It tells you like I'm looking at a, a, a column. I see the column. My eyes see it. It tells my brain that it's a column. So what we focus on. That's what we're looking at. That's what we're letting into our spirit. That's what we're letting into our soul. So whatever I'm focused on, that's the thing that is going to produce desires. So desires, what I want, what I'm after, produces action. Action, so what I do, reveals my heart. So the things that I do, even though I may say one thing, the things that I do will reveal my heart. It reveals what I've been focused on. When you have, in, in what they were saying here, when you have a single eye, you have a healthy eye. You think about it. If you have, start having blurry vision or double vision, you want to go to the doctor because that's unhealthy. Now, when you have a single eye, what that means is there's no impairment. Everything is working fine. You're seeing and there's no impairment. There's no double vision. And you see things clearly. Earlier I was talking about that 2020 vision. That's a single eye. You can't have double vision or impairment in your, in your focus and still see things clearly. So what we focus on determines if we have light. So we, if we focus on God, we have light. When, we focus, when our focus is away from God, no light. When we focus on God, our whole body will be full of light. Because the thing, think about it. As we look at God, we see him. He's our focus. There's no impairment. There's clarity. He is light. So what's coming into us is his light. So our whole body's full of light. We start to see things clearly because he gives us that clear vision. Now, when I take my focus off of God, since he is light, guess what? I'm now focused on darkness. And in darkness, I cannot see clearly. I don't know what's going on because there's no light. So I have to make sure that I continue to focus on God. You know, I'm going to finish explaining this, and then we're going to talk about what happens when we get our focus off God. But I'm going to go on with this. So we looked at verse 24, and it talks about master. Master means supreme in authority, ultimate authority. So you can only have one ultimate authority. The word ultimate and supreme means there's only one. So you can only have one master. You can't have two competing masters. Because it says that either you're going to hold a one and let go of the other, or you're going to hate the one and love the other. So you're going to have one ultimate authority in your life, one supreme authority in your life. So with that said, we should, our God should be our only focus. He should be the supreme authority in the believer's life. So, over in, if you notice it said, take no thought a whole lot. And we're going to talk about what take no thought means. What we should actually be looking at is we should be looking and focusing on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So, I was thinking about it and I said, well, what does that mean? You know, it sounds really good, but what does that mean in my day-to-day life? What does it mean to focus or to seek after 
the kingdom of God and his righteousness. It means that I seek after, I put my energy towards, I focus on, and I go after the character and the attitude of Christ. That's what I'm looking for. Doing things his way and um, his way of doing things and being right according to his standard. I'm not focused on, I'm not going after, I'm not pursuing anything else. My pursuit is following him and his character and lining my character up with his character and doing his will. So all my attentions, all my efforts should be focused on maintaining my proper position with God. I must, I must stay with God. So God's already delivered us from destruction. So that's why he sent Jesus. We talked about that over in Romans. So now that he's delivered us, he's going to keep us until the completion of that deliverance. So listen, we are saved, but the completion of our deliverance is the resurrection. So we're waiting on that. But don't you believe that God has left us? We talked about that earlier. God has not left us. He still loves us. He still cares for us. So in this time where we're waiting, in this waiting, we have hope. But our job is to complete what he's called us to do. So my part is not to take thought or not to seek after what I want. My part is to seek after what God wants me to do. So all my attention, all my focus is to go after what he's calling me to do. I don't have to go after and try to make it happen for myself. I need to do what God is telling me to do. So in this, in this passage, these passages that we read, we saw take no thought. Take no thought a whole lot. So keep in your mind that your focus, your, what you should do, your energy, your attention needs to go after aligning yourself with God's character, lining up with his will, doing what he's called you to do. So in this, we saw take no thought a whole lot. That translated from the Greek means to be drawn in different directions. So right now, we talk, I told you earlier, if we're going to move with purpose, we have to know what the purpose is. The purpose is to complete the will of God in our life, to fulfill what he's called us to fulfill. Now, when we take thought, so take no thought means don't be drawn in a different direction. Our direction is to follow the path that God has called us to. Remember, we're all members of one body. All of us have different things to do, but we all have a work to complete. So that's my focus. That's my goal. I cannot take thought of anything else. So if I'm drawn in different directions, so I've got two competing things. So let's think about it. So we're talking about singles. So I have... The purpose of God that I'm thinking about and I'm focused I should be focused on that but now I want to focus on getting a spouse I want to use my, my energy I want to use I'm not gonna say all because you know we wouldn't use all our energy sister Castillo to get a husband or a wife yeah you would you just don't know it um, what, what's happening is now I'm using energy and attention and focus and I'm being drawn over the purpose of God finding a spouse purpose of God, finding that spouse. So guess what? Now, remember we talked about the single eye. We focus on one thing. So now guess what? I'm looking over here. Here's the purpose of God. I'm looking over here. Here's finding the spouse. I'm going back and forth, back and forth. Now I'm being drawn in two different directions. When that happens, it just told you there in the scripture. 
You can't do that. You can't be drawn in two different directions. You can't have two masters. You're going to have one ultimate authority. Either you're going to focus on God and say, I don't want that, or maybe I want that, but I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on God. Or I'm going to say, God, I'll be back and focus on that other thing. So when you do that, what that's called is you no longer have a single eye, and now you're distracted. So, what is a distraction? A distraction is a process of diverting the attention of an individual or group from a desired area focus and thereby blocking or diminishing, and the word diminishing means lessening or weakening the reception of desired information. So, when my eye is not single, when my focus is not single, when I'm not focused on the purpose of God, accomplishing what he's called me to accomplish, I am distracted. So what is a distraction? I have, there's a distraction in my life. What is a distraction? I'm going to read it again. Distraction is the process of diverting the attention of an individual or group from a desired area of focus and thereby blocking or diminishing, which is lessening or weakening the reception of desired information. So, distractions can be caused by the lack of the ability to pay attention. You know, sometimes you just can't pay attention. You had a long day and you're like, I'm just too tired to focus. But guess what? You're distracted. It can be, distraction can be caused by a lack of interest. And the object of the attention. So you, you're really not interested in what's going on, so you're distracted. You're like, I don't really want to think about this, you know. I think about sometimes I'm in meetings at work and I'm distracted because I don't really want to hear what they're saying. I'm just going to tell you, I'm like, I'm distracted. But it can be caused by a lack of interest in the object of attention. Distraction can be also caused by the great intensity, novelty, or attractiveness of something other than the object of attention. So something else looks better or is more fun, it's new, it looks more exciting than the thing you should be paying attention to. So those are the things that distractions that can cause distractions. It, the lack of the lack of ability to pay attention. Whatever reason, you just can't pay attention. Maybe you got a headache. Maybe you don't feel good. That's a distraction. It's a lack of interest in the object of the of attention. So you know, like like I was saying. I'm distracted. I'm not going to be Best Buy. I'm distracted when I go in there because I, I don't have no, I don't have no attention. I mean, I don't really like that. I'm not interested in that. Then, the last one is the great intensity, novelty, or attractiveness of something other than the object of attention. There's something else that looks better. It looks more fun. It looks more interesting. It's prettier. It's shinier. So that thing is the thing you want to look at versus the thing you actually should be looking at. Now, distractions, they can come from external and internal sources. So a distraction, like an an internal distraction, like I was saying, a headache. That's something that's happened on the inside of your body. You might be tired. You might be hungry. But those are all distractions because guess what? It causes you not to be able to focus on what you should be focusing on. Another one. Internal, worrying, daydreaming, just letting your mind drift off. That's internal. You know, sometimes you can sit, like I said, in meetings at work, they really think sometimes I'm listening and I am thinking about something totally different. I've just gone on off on somewhere else. But 
internal distraction. Nobody knows. Worry. You can sit and you know what? People will never know you're worried. You may have a smile on your face the whole time you're worried. You're thinking about something. You're anxious. You're fretting. You know, external distractions like somebody may drop something, a noise. Somebody may move. Those are all distractions. Those are all things that can be happening externally. Somebody may come in and make a big sound. Anything like that, that's an external distraction, something that registers on your senses. Those are external things. So both internal and external distractions contribute to the interference of focus. So it doesn't matter if the distraction is internal or external it will interfere with your focus. So just because nobody knows you're distracted does not mean you're not distracted. Just because you can't physically see the distraction doesn't mean it's not distracting you. Now, external distractions will usually distract multiple. Distract maybe you, somebody else, and somebody else because it's external. You can see it. You can hear it. Whatever. But an internal distraction, nobody else may know, but it's still distracting you. Distractions can be mental, but those mental and internal distractions, they'll display in your external behavior. So you think about it. So internal distraction. I'll keep using my example of I'm sitting here and I'm thinking of, okay, we're talking about singles, but here it is, internal distraction. So you want to um, get married. So you're, you're looking for somebody. And in your mind, you're looking. So every time somebody walks into church, you look around, is he single, is he married, is he single, is he married, and you notice they don't have a ring. Guess what? Right after service, you up. Hey, how you doing? Da, 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 da. So that was that external, that internal distraction you were thinking. You, were, you had all the things. The people next to you, you said amen a few times. You said hallelujah. The whole time you were distracted trying to figure out if that brother or that sister that you want to go talk to after service is available. And then right after service, you didn't even let the benediction finish. You were already in their face. So that's the internal distraction affecting your external. And nobody knew you were distracted. They're just like, oh, they're excited to see him. They probably weren't even paying attention. But the whole time, you already had other plans. Distractions, because we hear the word distractions, and we know it's not necessarily a good thing. Distractions don't necessarily have to come from sin or wrong behavior. A distraction can come from information that you've received, a situation that's going on that maybe is not properly handled. A distraction can also come from a responsibility that's mismanaged. So you may have a responsibility. Here's a good example. So you make a bill. It's your responsibility to pay that bill. You don't pay that bill. You mismanage that. So guess what? Now you've got a distraction because that bill is not paid. They're calling you. They're asking you for what their money is going on your credit. And now it's a distraction because you're trying, you're worried about how you're going to pay this bill or you're getting phone calls in the middle of the day. So that was a responsibility of yours that you mismanaged. Um, information that you receive. You know right now a lot of people are distracted with these things going on in the world. And guess what? It's information that we're receiving. We're infor- it's information. It's situations that are happening. And we're not handling those situations properly. You know, when, when you run, when you almost fight somebody in a grocery store over over something you can get tomorrow, that's mismanaging a situation. That's something that should have a natural consideration, you can call those, that have become a distraction. So we have to properly handle these natural considerations before they become distractions.
natural considerations, we handle them by the standard of God. So, a natural consideration would be if if you marriage is a natural thing. There's there's no marriage a- after death. You know, there's no marriage and the resurrection. It's a natural temporal thing. So marriage is a natural consideration. Now, wanting to be married, Paul just told us is nothing wrong with wanting to be married. But we do not let the consideration or the desire to be married become a distraction and keep our focus away from the things of God. We always handle the natural considerations, the things that are going on in our life, the things that we really have to consider. God is not saying, act like those things don't exist. He's saying, no, you handle those things. And you handle those things according to my word. You handle them according to my standard and to my guidelines. So God is never going to tell you, Oh, yeah, you want to be married and you put a timeline on your life and you say you need to be married by the time you're 30 and you're 28 and you're not dating anybody. Oh, you know, I'm going to give you a pass. You can come back after you and, and, and focus on me. Go ahead and focus on getting married and you can come back and focus on me later. God's never saying that. God's always saying this is my standard. Maximize the state that you're in. God is not saying put me on the back burner. Because you want to get married. God is saying, oh, you have a desire to get married? Focus on me. Keep your eyes single. Your whole body will be full of light. And I will show you where you need to go, what you need to do, when you need to get there, and put you in the proper position so that the thing that you think that you need, you'll actually realize when it's coming, what it looks like, so you don't make a mistake. Now, when you're distracted... It sets conflicting preoccupations or interests that induce extreme agitation of the mind or emotion, and it produces uncertainty. So here it is. So you want to be married. Or let's say, here's another thing that, that, that big with singles, people who are single. You want to make a lot of money. You want, to, you want to focus on your career, and things just aren't going the way that you think they should go. And you think it's time to make that change, but God is saying, no, I need you to stay right here. I need you to be right here. When you're distracted, you have conflicting preoccupations. So guess what? The thing that you should be focused on, you're not focused on. You are preoccupied. That means that something is occupying the place that God should, play, should, uh, should be in your life or should be in your mind. So now you have a conflict set up in your mind. See, when you think about distractions, it's not good because internally you have a conflict in your own mind. There's no way you're going to be at peace when you're distracted because you've got a conflict. You've got interests that are conflicted. They're hitting up against each other. They're rubbing up against each other. It is just inducing extreme agitation. So now when you're distracted, you think about it, when you are distracted, Everything is just like, oh, wait, oh, i got to do this, i got to do that. Or, wait a minute, it's never any peace. You can't even make, even decisions seem hard. Just normal decisions just seem difficult because there's extreme agitation. There's anxiety. It produces uncertainty because there's a conflict in what you should be doing but what you're going after. So distraction takes our focus from what should be important and places it on something else. 
really almost out of time. So, distraction changes our focus. It skews our perception. So, if you think about it, remember we're moving towards purpose. So, if we keep our eyes single, our eyes on God, our whole body is full of light. But if my focus is to get to those doors, and I'm looking at those doors, and once again, if I change my focus and I turn my head, my body's probably going to follow that. So now, what used to look one way looks another way. It skews my perception. So once you shift your attention, the things around you start to look different. So before, when I was looking, there's an exit sign back there, and it was centered. When I turn, it's no longer centered. So now my perception is off. Everything looks different. Remember, that's why you got that extreme agitation, because what looks right no longer looks right because you've changed your focus. When you were looking at the light, your whole body was full of light. Now you've changed your focus, and it's darkness, and now your whole body's full of darkness. You can't see what's going on. So when you change your focus and you're distracted, that's when you can believe that God has forgotten you. That's when you can believe that your circumstances are bigger than God. Now when we looked up back over there in Romans chapter 8, God told us, I made a way for you to come back to me to have a relationship with me and I'm going to keep you. Now when you change your focus, guess what? You'll believe God forgot you. You'll believe he saved me but he don't want to keep me. That's what you'll start believing. You will start to believe that God has forgotten you and left you. And that where you are right now, you need to handle this business. And that's God saying, no, don't do that. That's not what you need to do. So distraction is not a good thing. So how do you know when you're distracted? Right? You, you, we don't want to be distracted. How do we know when we're distracted? So I'm going to give you what, what, you, what distraction is. I'm distracted when I'm not focused on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Right? I said that already, y'all. Like, Tiska still, that is not the answer we wanted. I know. So, usually, you don't know when you're distracted. To find out that you're distracted, something has to interrupt the distraction. Either, I was thinking about it, like texting and driving. Something interrupts the distraction. Either you finish the text, or maybe somebody blows their horn, you drive off the road, but something has to interrupt the distraction. So like tonight, you may be distracted. Here's the word coming in to interrupt that distraction. And say, wait a minute, you need to take a look at this. Are you focused on God? Once the distraction is interrupted, you can choose to refocus on God, or you can continue with the distraction and pick up a, or pick up a new distraction. The thing about it is, distraction, remember, your, your perception is skewed. So somebody comes back and says, hey, you're looking the wrong way. Hey, you're looking the wrong way. And you can either turn back and say, I sure was. Or you can say, well, yeah, that's the wrong way, but what about this way? You can choose to refocus. You can choose to continue in that distraction. Or you can pick up a new distraction. So here's the thing that I was thinking about. So, so what... What is, what is the way that you can get distracted? So we're having to live stream our services now. So, so we're on Facebook. And when you're watching on Facebook, you see people commenting. You see people liking and all that stuff. And I know for me, that's distracting. 
And then you can you can say, oh, wait a minute, hold on, I, I forgot, I didn't even hear what she said. I was too busy reading so-and-so's comment or typing my comment. And it's nothing wrong with commenting, but what I'm saying is don't lose your focus. So what happens is you're sitting there and you're typing out a comment, and then you heard me say something about it, I interrupted that distraction. So now you can say, well, now, oh, I'll refocus and continue to focus on the word. Or, you know, and on Facebook, I mean, you got all the chat and all those other things that are popping up. So who knows what's depending on how your notification set up. So there are a lot of things. So even with all those distractions, it's just like life. There are a lot of distractions. There are a lot of things that you can get distracted by. You can get distracted by things that seem godly. But just because they seem godly does not mean that they are godly. So there are a lot of things that you've got to chase off. You've got to chase off those distractions. And you've got to keep your eyes single on the word of God and on his purpose and his righteousness. So when you're distracted, distracted people become discontent people. So you're no longer focused on the purpose of God. You're no longer focused on the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're focused on something else. So you become discontent. Discontent means dissatisfied with one's circumstances. It means restless aspiration for improvement. What I have or what I am is not good enough. So when you're distracted, if you do not come out of that distraction, distraction, it will lead to discontentment. Discontent means dissatisfaction with one's circumstances. It's restless aspiration for improvement. What I have or what I am is not good enough. So when you think about it, restless aspiration, that means that I want to improve. I aspire. That is what I'm wanting to achieve. And not only that, but it's restless. So when you think about restless, it means, um, go back to agitated fidgety, moving around a whole lot. It means that not only do I want to change this situation, but I'm moving towards that and I just can't get enough. I got to move. I got to move around. I can't have any peace until I get what I'm looking for, until I can be what I think is better or what I think is enough. So discontentment can lead to desperation. So what is desperation? Desperation is a state of despair Typically one that results in rash or extreme behavior. It's a great need or what or that which you consider a need that can make you act irrationally. So once again, desperation is a state of despair, typically one that results in rash or extreme behavior. A great need or what you consider a need that can make you act irrationally. So, you know, you think about it. A few weeks ago, people were acting irrationally because they were desperate. They were discontent in their situation. They didn't think things were going to be, they didn't like where they were. They didn't like the news that they were getting. So they were discontent. And they went out and they acted out of despair. They acted irrationally. I mean, really, you know, just running in, pushing people, fighting over toilet paper and stuff like that, and, and buying all the antibacterial wipes. That's irrationally. And they're going to look back at that in a, few, in, in a few months, in a year or two, or, yeah, in a few months and go like, man, that was crazy. Because they were desperate. So, desperation has caused you to compromise. I'm telling you, some of those people that acted like that, like I said, they're going to look back and they say, that's not me. But they compromised their standard 
because they were desperate. Because the, they were they were desperate because they had been discontent because they had been distracted. And it all goes back to being distracted by something. So, how do we not become desperate? We have to be content. Contentment is an internal satisfaction which does not demand a change in external circumstances. So, if I don't want to be desperate, I have to be content. I have to be satisfied internally with what I have, that, and it doesn't demand a change in external circumstances. Contentment is an inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace despite outward circumstances. Remember, we can have peace when I am with God and He is with me. So, contentment is that inner sufficiency that keeps us at peace despite outward circumstances. When we're content, we're not driven by the desire to get the things we want. Our greatest aim is to please God. So you can see the difference in that contentment and that discontentment. The thing about it is, when you're content, your sufficiency comes from God. It doesn't matter the circumstances. It doesn't matter what state you're in. It doesn't matter your external state. It doesn't matter your internal state. All you, are, all you have is with God. You realize that God is what you need. I was thinking about it just these past few days. God is what we need. When we have God, when I am with Him and He is with me, I can be content. I can know this too shall pass. I, I can realize I can be content in that. And I don't have to act out of desperation because I know that God supplies my every need. Amen? So we're going to finish up with contentment next week, but I am out of time. But God is faithful. He is worthy of all the glory and all the honor and all the praise. And family, do not be distracted. Do not be distracted. God has, has set us on a path. Keep looking towards Him. Keep, you know, go back. And, and, you know, when we were fasting, we were writing things down. God told us to write things down. Write those things down. And he told us, during this time, if you haven't already, go back and read those things. Go back and, and remind yourself what God told you. God is not changing. God is not changing. He didn't tell you what he told you. He didn't tell you this is what, because I'm thinking about what he told me. I don't know what he told y'all during the fast because that's not, he told me some stuff. So I'm thinking on what he told me. So these circumstances and these situations that are going on, I'm still going to focus on his goodness. I'm going to obey what he tells me to do, and I'm going to focus on him. I am going to be content in this situation. I'm going to obey these laws that they give us, and I'm, I'm going to continue to pray. I'm going to pray for our nation. I'm going to pray for those who um, have been affected by this, um, this COVID-19, whether they have it, whether they're family members. Also, those who are having to work during these times, our, our uh, medical staff and stuff like that. We continue to pray for those people. We don't, like, like I said in the teaching, it's not that these things don't exist. It's just that they're not going to distract me. I'm going to stick with the purpose of God. So God is faithful, family, and I love you, and, and, and that's all I can say. God is faithful, and he is good. Amen? This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. 
For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at livingwateraustin.net.